Hello, and welcome to the Body Protest Podcast, a new intersectional body image podcast that takes a deep dive into our often complicated, occasionally treacherous relationships with our bodies. We want to figure out how we can all feel more at home in our bodies and what it will take to create a world that fosters positive body image. I'm Honey Ross. And I'm Nadia Craddock. In each episode, we'll be combining storytelling with science to discuss body image, so how we feel about how we look in relation to our weight, shape, race, skin colour, physical ability, sexuality, mental health, and whatever else comes up. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. We are very excited uh, because this episode we are talking to my dear friend Lolly Adafope, a uh, comedian, actor, and all-round wonderful person. I think I was so excited when we met with Lolly that I completely found up. <laughs> and I think I said three words in the entire interview, so I'm sorry, honey. Um, <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> um, sorry to Lolly too. But uh, we talk about Shrill, the new Hulu series based on the book by Lindy West um, of the same name. We also talk about a little bit about race, the world of comedy... Uh, changes in body weight and social media I think we were just having a horrible day honestly um I honestly had just been dumped that day so let's yeah. like, it was it was there. a cursed day um I mean neither Nada and I were thriving um Lolly was of course wonderful as always but um yeah this is uh this is real this podcast is real and yeah. we are learning but, on and the job yeah and, but you know what I think half of it also so when I like was overexcited and clammed and also was having like this weird day and then also you and Lolly were having this like really sweet conversation and I was like you know what I'm just like I'm just enjoying listening I'm just enjoying like <laughs> the chemistry is electric and like witnessing this like moment you're talking about sharing clothes and I was like oh can I share clothes <laughs> Can I, can I be part of the party? You can what always you share clothes. I mean, like, my clothes would look like a tent on you, but they, you would rock it. Well, well okay. Should we, should we have a listen? Let's talk to Lolly. Self-love is true love. Honour the most important relationship in your life. Yourself. Our sponsor, Womanizer, believes that every person has the right to pleasure and self-love, regardless of age, sexuality, size and colour. A wonderful way to learn to appreciate your body is through self-pleasure. Masturbation is a truly joyful way to connect with your body and learn to feel comfortable in your skin. Everyone should feel able to feel comfortable in their body and explore their own sexual needs and desires. In this house, we see masturbation as the purest form of self-love. Unlike other vibrators, Womanizer products stimulate with soft pressure waves. It is stimulation without touch, meaning there is no chance of overstimulation or loss of sensitivity. Get yourself your very own womanizer at womanizer.com UK so you can light a candle, run a bath and have a mind-blowing night of sexy self-care. So I guess we should start with how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Feeling uh, slightly stressed, a lot of work to do. Um, I've got a deadline. I've got like a sort of a deadline that just seems to be like, you just need to have finished this thing now rather than like in a week. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, then we've passed the deadline. Yeah, the we've passed the deadline. Like a dot in the distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've moved um, on, yeah. And I kind of need a new deadline, but I know that they'll just be like, it's now. <laughs> <laughs> That's how um, I'm really Yeah, yeah. But so I'm working a lot, but feeling good. It's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. The birds are chirping. The sun is shining. <laughs> um, generally feeling good. We famously often share clothes. Yes. We have absolutely. done. Absolutely. We've borrowed many a gown. Yeah. 
a gown. It's it's a one way thing. <laughs> as, I said, as I said, I was like, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. Taking for a <laughs> and I forgot to bring your dresses today as well. I know it's fine. I'll Please. bring them next time. Keep them. They're yours. No, no. Please give them back. <laughs> Please, I miss them. Um, and one of the things we bonded about when we first met was like what it's like being like a big girl in this small world. Mm. Um, I kind of want to talk a bit about what it's like for you being like, would you say you're plus size? I think so. I think I wasn't always plus size. So it's, I think there's like, it's an interesting thing when someone has always been a plus size person, when someone has put on weight to become a plus size person. Mm. So like, I think I've put on a bit of weight in like the last few years. Um, But when I first started out in comedy, I wasn't plus size. Um, But then it's interesting doing stuff like shrill because it's like, (laughs) you're kind of like doing a show where you're like, the word fat doesn't, is not negative. It's not a pejorative word. But I'm saying that as someone who never actually has been called fat un- until more recently. And so then there were like reviews of Shrill that are like, um, and she has a fat roommate. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like knowing that it's not negative, but also being like, this is new to me. <laughs> it is interesting as well, because I mean, I definitely exist in a bubble where fat isn't a negative word. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you step out into the outside world and then yeah. people are like, you're fat. And you're like, yeah. oh, thanks. it's hard to digest because i'm like i know in the circle that i am in yeah everyone's like fat's great fat's beautiful and then you kind of go out into the real world and you realize that not everyone's head is there exactly Mm -hmm. yeah you don't know where where it's coming from in people so you can't always take it as a positive sometimes but i guess that kind of leads on to the question of like when you were doing shrill did it kind of change your relationship with your body um I think I think when I was reading it, especially I was it, it was quite like eye opening. Especially there's a bit where Lindy says in the book like your your life doesn't have to start when you lose weight and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like I think even when I was like wasn't technically plus size, there were still moments where I was like like in November I was like okay January first <laughs> like mm-hmm. everything's gonna start and like okay today's Friday so Monday everything's gonna start. Um, and and then you just get to a point where you're like. you can't live your life saying that for like 40 years because you'll just it'll just be a constant cycle if you keep thinking that that's when things are going to start yeah you're kind of Mm. like what's the point yeah yeah happy now i should be happy now and i should like look after myself and that that is what's going to make me happy rather than just like prescribing myself to a someone else's standard of what i should look like yeah and do you think how long do you think it took you to get there I think it probably happened because I put on weight and then I was like, okay, this is something I need to think about because am I going to be thinking about this for the rest of my life or could I be using this energy to (laughs) do things Mm -hmm. and like make things happen? Maybe like in the last like few years, I think. This is going to sound really creepy, but I remember once seeing that you'd shared a tweet which was like, should I worry about my arm flab? Should <laughs> yeah. I do it with my one life? Yeah. Catherine Cohen. Mm. It's yeah, yeah. A tweet, but it's like, incredible. It's it my really mantra. It really makes you think. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you're just like, why am I thinking about this? Yeah, yeah. I think, I feel like you can, you can worry about the flap on your arms for one minute of every year that's like enough time <laughs> to worry <laughs> about required amount of time that's, that's okay yeah, yeah yeah i think that's okay yeah what, you've got one minute per year yeah use exactly it, use it how you please either like do something about it or be happy with it and like just leave it at that i think yeah uh-huh. yeah so how did you get into shrill um i did a self-tape i got sent a self-tape uh-huh. by my american agent um and it said it said that the character was African American, and uh-huh. I was like, "Well, they're I'm asking British. me." So. <laughs> um, so I sent them an American version and a British version, uh-huh. and then they they liked the British version. So then I went to LA and did a, a chemistry read with mm. AD, mm-hmm. and then got the part. 
iconic. Thank you. I mean, it's very interesting though because that very much made the role your own. Like you fully, took yeah, it yeah, you put your stamp on it because it's now a young British woman. Yeah, yeah. In, in the beginning, they said like I met with Ad and Jesse, who directed the first episode, mm. and they said like, so if there's any stuff in the script that doesn't feel like it's in your voice, like um, feel free to change it. And so there were, I think there were like a few words that like. <laughs> Yeah. I think like American people don't realise that British people wouldn't say certain things because they're just like, this is what American people say. And then you're like, I would never say that. <laughs> just like the tiniest thing that makes such a difference. <laughs> when you were, when did you start out in comedy? Um, I started, I think about five years ago. So like I graduated in 2012 and then I got a, got an internship at The Invisible Dot, which is a comedy production company, mm-hmm. and then uh, also worked full time. Then my internship finished and then, no, sorry, also worked part time when I was doing my internship. Then my internship finished and then my job became full time, my very like boring office job. And I think I did that for maybe like 18 months and then was like, oh, I really want to go to Edinburgh and like mm. do like either like 10 minutes every day or just like start out doing something. So then I quit my job, which most people like wait years to do. And I was like, no, <laughs> I've done four gigs. I think I want to quit my job. Um, so then I, yeah, I went to Edinburgh in summer of 2014 um, and just did like gigs here and there and then like carried on after that. It's interesting though, because even five years ago, the climate was very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like now things are a lot more progressive and a lot more diverse. But like, I feel like mm. when you were starting out, you were kind of like one of the first like out there like women in comedy mm. like like definitely like it was like very different seeing like such an out there woman like person of color like thriving in mm. comedy and Thank like it's true like you are so amazing because you just were like like you said like four gigs gigs and you were like right okay <laughs> this is it like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i'm doing this yeah what was it like coming up in that kind of like very male dominated yeah it's, it's, it's like a weird thing because like obviously like I talk a lot about like representation and diversity and stuff and I always say like how important it is to see yourself and then at the same time I was just like recklessly confident even though I wasn't seeing myself anywhere I was just like I want to do this (laughs) so if the boys can do it then I'm going to do it as well kind of thing um so I think I I sort of use the fact that things weren't as diverse as I wanted them to be as like motivation almost I was just kind of like if all of these white men are allowed to do it then why mm. can't I do it? Yeah. Basically. I want to go back to Shvill actually for a mm. minute because your character Fran is supposed to be like very like confident mm. in like almost as like a not too much like the black best friend type thing, but kind of does support AD. AD. Yeah, so yeah. then like how much do you feel that you relate to Fran? Like do you think you're you're similar in that way? Like um, do you feel like you play that role? I think I definitely am that role of like seeing seeing like amazingness in friends that I have and being mm-hmm. like, why do you care about like these stupid boys when mm-hmm. you're so amazing? I definitely have that. But I think she's much more confident than me in herself. Um although I mean having said that I just said that I <laughs> quit my job after four <laughs> so maybe not. But I think um the element because there's an element to Fran where she sort of doesn't really realise that AD has ever felt these things about herself and has ever felt this like lack of self-esteem. And I think like all women have felt that. I feel like, unless Fran's sort of hiding and maybe she uh-huh. used to feel like that and doesn't feel like that anymore. Mm. But there's there's definitely a sense where she's like, what? You feel like you're bad. I feel like I'm amazing. 
and I definitely have moments where I'm like no <laughs> like yeah. you definitely have la- like lacks of self-esteem sometimes yeah. but I think there are two two different things right so like mm. self-esteem like and and then like how you feel about your body like they're related but they're separate yeah um yeah. so do you feel like you have do you see those as how do they play out for you um I don't really know I think I think most of my confidence comes separate from my body not not that mm-hmm. like I have a lack of confidence in my body but most of my confidence comes from like my sense of humor and like my values and like the way I see the world and stuff um because like if you like, almost like if you listen to the world and you and you take your perspective from what the world's telling you then you'll just like crumble I think because the world is so like fickle and mm-hmm. doesn't treat like women and black women with that much respect so I think you have to like hold on to what you think is the most important thing and then like let your confidence come from that I think yeah. rather than from anyone else telling you how have you always felt like that do you think yeah but I think when I was a teenager I was more like I'm so, I was like really frustrated because <laughs> I was like I'm so funny why does nobody appreciate this <laughs> and then as I got older I was like oh I'm really funny and that's like a really great thing to have Whereas I think if I was younger, if I'd like been like really successful with boys and stuff when I was younger, I would have felt like that was what my worth was. And then if that changed, then I'd be like, oh, I have no worth now. Whereas I've always just been like, I know that I'm pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Were you always like, I hate saying this, but like class clown? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I was like... Like, Lolly, please get off the desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was once when um, we had a new teacher who was like, he wasn't fit, but he was like fit to like a, a girl's school. Yeah, 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 you're like, oh, he has a, a starved face. girl's school. He has a human school. face. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then I don't know what possessed me to do it, but this girl, like, who was my friend in the class, whispered to me, um, "I think he's got a nice ass," which is which is <laughs> mad. Like, I don't think like even as like a fourteen year old, I don't think I even thought like that. And I don't think she did either, but she was like, I think he's got a nice ass. And I was, and then I went, Laura thinks he's got a nice ass. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking that it would just be like a classic, hilarious thing to do. Like classic band. Yeah. And then he was like, really like. Traumatised. <laughs> genuinely traumatised. And then the next day. Well, he's actually here today. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he really had a grudge against me after that. And, ev- and everyone else loved him because he was like the fun, cool teacher. And he just really didn't like me. It was stressful. Um, but the next day, our head of year came into our form and was like just looking like really solemn and was like oh, girls something very serious has happened and basically like explained the story and was like who was this because like, i'm not sure I'm if he if he had you. told her who it was or she knew and she was just like making it more dramatic but she was like who was it <laughs> and if nobody admits to it then you're all getting all getting detention and so like very slowly i like raised my hand and i was like it was me <laughs> And then I had to go to her office and she was like, she said, do you think this was a, do you think this was an appropriate thing to do? But I thought she said, do you think this was an inappropriate thing to do? So I went, yes. And she was like, are you joking? Anyway, yeah, I was a class clown. Yeah. It's really interesting because I actually didn't know you'd gone to a girl's school. I mean, mm. Some friend I am. But Can't you tell? What do you think um, that, like growing up around lots of girls, schools, you like, girls schools get a really bad rep like, mm. like girls schools are so bitchy like, yeah yeah how did you find that climate like growing up I mean they are bitchy you I think well at least like in my experience with them and the people that I've spoken to they are quite bitchy but I I just think like I'd rather try and like survive through the bitchiness mm. and 
have um like ha- have been focused on other things than boys i think i would just be so distracted i think yeah. there, there are people who wouldn't be that distracted but i know that i would have been um and so i was just quite glad that i could like focus on academia which sounds a bit like lame, no not but, at all yeah but do you think in terms of like growing up around girls was there like a kind of point of comparison was that, like mm. how, how did that affect you yeah i think uh, yeah there's definitely a point of comparison and also when i got old uh, like when i got into like year 11 and sixth form like my my group of friends just naturally all had very small frames and i couldn't yeah. really see that i was just like oh i'm big and they're skinny and and i'm black and most of them are white and that's why i'm not successful with boys or whatever um and i think and also i was like i'm really funny and they all find me really funny but nobody mm. seems to value that as a thing <laughs> um, so i definitely yeah i definitely like um compared myself to like people all the time and i think people sort of didn't really realize how much it's just like that, that thing of people saying like oh i'm colorblind and like i don't see color and stuff but i think people didn't really realize how much actually they had quite a lot of like unconscious bias about stuff and like would make jokes that i would think i don't think that's okay <laughs> but i didn't really have the like um i couldn't really articulate why and i just knew like well i'm the class clown and i make jokes all the time so i can't be the one who's like really defensive when someone else makes a joke that's um, really shit. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's I'm kind so of sorry. You, know, you only realise like I only realised this like after I graduated or this like this stuff like bubbles up inside you. And then you tell other people who are like woke now and they're like, that's not okay and you're like, mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting though, because there is now such a kind of I don't want to say performative, but there is such a performative wokeness of people yeah. being like, I want to say the exactly right thing all the time. Totally. Which I do agree. I like, obviously, like, that's not me being like, well, God, the PC brigade. Yeah. I'm obviously, like, yeah. I yeah. obviously want to be, you know, as woke as I can be mm. and saying the right things. But, like, have you found that, like, I mean, I- I'm already pissed off at asking myself, like, asking this question, but, like, have you found that that's hindered your comedy? Because I always think that, actually, people who say that, that is censorship on being creative and are just racist yeah shit. yeah as in does it affect my comedy trying to be more work yeah or trying to be yeah yeah no i don't think it does like no that's that that's probably why i'm so against all the people who said who say that yeah, like you said like, like yeah i've never felt like it's hindered me I, I think also because like i'm friends with people who would rightly take offense at the right things yeah and so when i picture my audience audiences i'm not picturing like some like beery guys who want to hear me say controversial things i'm picturing like interesting people who want to like hear interesting points of view and like varied points of view not just like the most controversial thing or the most like shocking joke that they can hear i didn't like critic that your first show kind of say like why didn't you talk about race more yeah yeah they were were kind of more like um oh yeah it was basically an article actually that some of them were reviews but one of them was an article that was like about how in the 90s or in or like i think it was in the 90s like whenever um comedians who were like people of color would come to edinburgh they kind of had to talk about their race and that's what mm-hmm. we talked about and the article was kind of be like and now look there's loads of people and they don't even mention it and like look how things have changed it's just like a very weird tone i don't think they meant it as like mm-hmm. they should shut up about it. <laughs> but it kind of was like this is what i mean like people sort of don't really realize the like bias in what they're saying like you should just let people talk about whatever they want to talk about. Um, and I think, and because in my first show, I had like consciously thought, okay, this is my first Edinburgh. I want to prove that I'm really funny. And then next year I'm going to talk about interesting things. I don't want to like launch it and try and do two things at once. And so like people saying that, I was kind of like, 
but I had a plan for my second show and it was going to be really deep. And And you've ruined it. You've ruined it. Now I feel like I'm just working to your agenda. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Do you feel like, like now with your comedy, do you, are you still doing like a lot of stand up and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. When I'm not filming, I try and Mm -hmm. do lots. Yeah, in between. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking like you're doing shrill and you've got all this other <laughs> stuff going on. But how do you like mm. fit everything in? I don't all? know. I don't know. How does any woman do it all? But, um, but do you feel like like how much does your like you know what you look like come into your comedy? And do you feel like it has to? And you're you know you're saying that you put on a bit of weight. Do you feel like that needs to become a joke or like something? Because mm. I feel like the kind of the fat joke is always the kind of like the go to. Yeah. Like, yeah it's almost like you say it before anyone else can say it type mm-hmm. thing and I wonder like how much mm-hmm. that plays out for you and, and how you think about all of those kind of things um, I think I think if I did stand up it probably would play out more because I think if the, part of the reason I didn't do stand up in the beginning was because I was like this is too vulnerable and I don't want to uh-huh. be I don't want to completely like give myself away totally to an audience um, but I think if I did do that then I probably would reference those things but because I do characters I kind of try and I'm sort of not being myself that mm-hmm. much I'm kind of pointing out things that I've noticed in other people and like pointing out like mannerisms or like mm. stupid opinions that other people have that I don't agree with. Um, so it's not, it's not quite as personal, but I think if I ever did stand up, I think I probably mm. would be that. Per- I feel like you have to be that personal because mm. otherwise it doesn't connect. What's a character mm. you've always wanted to do, but been too scared to? Um, ooh. Maybe not too scared. I've got so many characters that I was like, these are not funny. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I'm not just going to like, this is weird. Yeah, yeah. I had a character that was like, that I do at the moment, that's a woman reading from her, like, she's doing a book reading from her book that's just come out, and it's just like, like pop feminism that's just like not feminism at all. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to do, and then I, and then I, there's like a line in it where I say, um, this, this book was first written on Instagram stories, and then <laughs> I read about Caroline Calloway like a few months ago, and I was like, this is me, this is my character. <laughs> and then I was like, actually, it'd be quite funny to do a character like her workshops, that kind of like influencer workshop that's just not a thing. And it's like, <laughs> have, a, have an orchid and like talk about your day. <laughs> this will cost $150. <laughs> like, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, how do you feel about social media in general? Are you like big into. Instagram, I, all of those things. I think before I used to, I used to like tell myself like, you have to have it. You have to be on Twitter and Instagram if you want to be a comedian. It's promotion. Like I spend twelve hours on it a day, and that's work. <laughs> and now I'm like trying to like Twitter. I think I'm because Twitter I basically use for like finding out what's going on in the world, which is mm. not the best thing anyway. But um, I use that quite a lot. But Instagram, I'm trying to um, distance myself from a bit because I just I can see it like melting my brain. And you can just you can sort of see like in your brain like the way you think of things and the way you compare yourself to people and you you can like see it happening in front of you and I'm like this has got to stop. <laughs> That's really interesting because I do find that a lot of people are like I surround myself with the worst Instagrams of like I don't personally mm. as people talking but like they follow just like exclusively like Victoria's Secret models and oh. people that make them feel really bad yeah, about themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm like you can create a really nice, safe bubble totally. for yourself. Yeah, like, yeah. It's so interesting. It's like who you choose to follow can completely change your day. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, if you turn yeah. on your phone in the morning, look at your Instagram and see just like stuff that's going to make you hate yourself. You're like, yeah. oh, great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Go out into the world like, well, why do I even bother? Yeah. But if you follow like, I just follow like frog accounts. Like yeah. frogs yeah, wearing hats. And, like, frogs and like political accounts. And I'm like, this is It does great. change. Yeah, it changes. I started following... um this dentist my friend <laughs> my friend like posted um, in her story a, like a video of a dentist removing like plaque from someone's teeth Ooh, and I, I was like that. 
this is all I want. <laughs> and like, yeah, when you do that, it, like, it does change everything. I think I used to follow, like, loads of, like, girls who had cool clothes because I was like, oh, I want, like, inspiration for what clothes to buy. And then after a year, I was like, all of these people are a size six. Why am I following mm. these people? It doesn't help me at all. It just makes me think, oh, I want those clothes and I can't have those clothes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to follow more dentists. Um, <laughs> and also you notice how much your explore page changes. Because my explore page yeah. just used to be, like, girls in bikinis. Uh, even though I didn't even follow people like that. I yeah. think Instagram just sort of makes it happen. And then slowly my explore page is becoming, like, slime. Slimes <laughs> like, and dentists. Slimes and dentists. Like, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. all my explore pages and I love yeah, it. Yeah, a lot like... of toenails on my explore page. Oh, <laughs> no, no, Lolly. But a lot not. of food as well. I get quite addicted to watching um, those, like, food really videos. intense food videos that are, like, three gallons of cheese, three gallons of pasta. What? Have you seen? It's called, what, like, like, a mukbang? No, no, it's, it's just like bang. someone, it's just like, you just see the hands of someone cooking. It's like a food tutorial and they've got music <laughs> over it. But it's like, it's always like the greasiest, <laughs> disgusting I stuff. Feel, like, I love like inside a food where they're like, this oh, place yeah, exactly. in Brooklyn yeah, is selling yeah. the biggest hot dog. And yeah. you're like, I will never go there, but I yeah. love that I know that this exists. Exactly, like, I'm like, yeah. great. And it's always a very small, tiny girl, like biting into one slice <laughs> being like, amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, good for you. This yeah. is true. If it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know if you'll feel comfortable talking about this, so feel free to like be like absolutely <laughs> Obviously there was the kind of Christmas controversy oh, yeah. mm-hmm. of you tweeting I mean I found it fucking hilarious. But the, I, it was someone, a joke. Yeah, someone's yeah. dreaming of a white Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but like you obviously got a lot of shit for that tweet. Mm. Do you want to? Sorry, for like, people who yeah, don't know, explain to Nadia yeah. what happened. Did you know? Did you see it? So I, ha- I have heard it. Was, the you know, lineup of like twenty four. Was it twenty four comedians? Yeah, all, yeah. All white, and yeah. then you tweeted what someone's dreaming of a white Christmas. Yeah, that, it was a Christmas, that legit. Christmas charity yeah. gig, right? Um, and the charity is what people <laughs> took umbrage <laughs> with. Um, but yeah, I just tweeted someone dreaming of white, dreaming of a white Christmas with the, with the picture of the lineup, which was twenty four white comedians. Um, 19 white male comedians um and then the tweet went viral (laughs) it was so funny that it went viral um and then just like people from all around the world were getting involved because it was it just turned into like comedian criticizes charity gig for not having black people on and it's and then and then i felt like i had to then explain what i meant which was annoying because it's like because nothing makes it not funny yeah yeah, exactly i was like it was just a joke like a standalone joke and then it felt like, because so many people were sort of putting words in my mouth, I had to say, like, no, what I actually think is that um, this this poster looks mad if you have, like, yeah. any sense of, like, diversity in what the world looks like. But more I think I'm kind of interested in is, like, kind of the emotional toll of, like, mm. receiving, like, that much shit from yeah, strangers yeah. online. Like, that's yeah. something I've spoken about before, whereas, like, you receive, like, a lot of negativity. Because also, I'm sure, like, a lot of it wasn't charity-related. It's just people being like, yeah, totally. I don't like this. Yes, yeah, so mm. many people, like... There was, one, there was one guy who was, like... Because I tweeted... Because um, it, it all got so overwhelming, and I was like, okay. Because whenever, like, stuff gets like that, I think, okay, if I was in a play... What would the good character do in this play? <laughs> and I was like, okay, the good character would donate to the charity. So I was like, okay, that, like it boils down to the fact that I want the charity to prosper, and also mm-hmm. I want to say my piece about this thing. So I tweeted like, oh, I'm donating to this charity, and explained like what I thought. And then some guy was like, if you if you donate to the charity, what's the six digit verification code that they give you when you donate to the charity? And I was like, <laughs> and I was also knew that there was no code, so I was just like. Going to that much, going to those lengths to try and prove me wrong, as, like, it was just mad. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I was just like, there's sort of no, 
like winning with like these people no. don't want to be convinced of anything no. they just want to they're just an angry mob yeah like paul point. joseph watson tweeted about it and then obviously like set those people on me but then didn't tweet anything else just like tweeted it put it out there for like people to pile on and then obviously doesn't actually care didn't like yeah didn't argue with anyone or didn't like say anything else um and also <laughs> i was filming at the time and um the other day I was watching, a, they made a blooper reel of the thing that I was filming, which is Ghosts on BBC One. Um, check it out on Monday night. Um, but they, um, they made a blooper reel. And in like a few of the scenes, you can see me in the background, like on my phone. Like really stressed. <laughs> oh my God. Just like in the midst of everything, like, I've got to tweet this. I've got to explain what I was doing. <laughs> but it's so interesting that like, it was clearly a joke. But then, I know, yeah. yeah I mean, and and then, like, if a man or a white man or anyone had tweeted the same thing, it would be like, oh, what a controversial joke. It wouldn't be like, how dare you try and desecrate this charity by yeah, being it's clearly like, You're clearly not anti the charity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like people just like to get angry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people just thought that for some reason people wouldn't donate to the charity because I tweeted that. And it's like, if 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 that happened... I don't think those people really fault. thought that. No, well, I, like, yeah, I yeah. think that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, was, there, was, there were some people who were like linked to the charity or like people who like had like family members who suffered from um the disease and stuff who were like i really hope this doesn't detract this is a really important yeah. charity and I, I had to sort of be like i'm really sorry like i don't think it will yeah and also my comment isn't about the charity that, that mm. kind of stuff was quite stressful but then also there's another stressful. girl who whose brother um had i think it's muscular dystrophy mm. um and she was like i'm in complete support of you and i was like oh my god <laughs> 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 How do you feel about the potential of being considered a role model? And, like, especially, like, a role model for plus-size women, a role model for women of colour? Like, how mm. does that feel? Like, does that sit well with you? Do you feel comfortable in that idea? Um, it's, it's, it's quite a stressful idea, but it's not completely, like, an idea that I want to, like, distance myself from. Um, because, like, when I, when I, like, tweet stuff like that, like, the charity thing and, like, whenever I call out stuff like that there are people who are like thank you for doing this this is very inspiring and then that does make me feel like okay this feels like I am a positive role model Mm. and also like just like working a lot and like being very visible feels like I'm a role model more for like the work that I'm doing rather than like who I am as a person and the decisions that I make um but also I like wouldn't want anyone to go through what I went through with the charity thing because it was yeah, quite was hellish. Hates, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry you went through that. Yeah. <laughs> so at the same time, I'm kind of like, okay, I kind of have to like, I don't want to be telling everyone like, yeah, scream about everything that you see. Like you kind of have to like choose your moment sometimes. Yeah. Um, but in general, I don't know. I guess I don't feel like, no, don't follow me because then it, then it suggests that I'm going down like the wrong route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the bad guy in the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And what do you do when you're feeling stressed or, you know, if you're not feeling great? And Is there anything that you do that's, like, your go-to things? Of, like, this is how I'm going to feel better in my body. Mm. This is how I'm going to feel good about myself. Mm. Like, do you have... Um, I play Candy Crush a mm-hmm. lot. Very mm. addictive. But also helps me to think, weirdly, because it's just so, like, n- nothing-y, almost. Really interestingly, I read that apparently if you play Tetris right after yeah. a traumatic event, uh-huh. it completely like lessens the yeah. chances of you having PTSD. Yeah. I used to play Tetris all the Isn't time. Isn't that fascinating? That is yeah. Fascinating. Genuinely. Yeah. I can believe that. Yeah. I used, yeah. I used, it's, it's very soothing. And also it, like I can think more when I'm playing Candy Crush mm. and Tetris than 
just like walking around because you're just you're just focused on that one thing and then it's like everything else zones out um or have a bath <laughs> scarlet curtis always says something very interesting where she's like the people who are like including her my housemate at the top of the leaderboard on candy crush are people who are going through the worst <laughs> stuff right, it's right, like, right. I think candy crush is like a lifeline for a lot yeah of people. it really is yeah yeah it's like that is the ultimate self-care like forget about your face masks it's yeah. candy crush <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> top tip yeah <laughs> i guess i kind of want to ask where do you feel like you're at with your body and like your relationship to your body mm. and what would be a piece of advice that you could give to someone else like if they're kind of struggling with body image um I think one thing that I have like learned over the years is I'm only going to be happy in my body if I'm happy in my body like if I'm trying to like be a certain size or like look a certain way for other people that's never going to be like a stable thing and so you have to like be honest with yourself and say like okay am I happy with like what I'm eating and like what I'm doing Mm. and if I'm not then change it for you rather than to like fit into a like certain thing that people might expect from you um because there was like a period of time where I was like you know what I'm gonna eat everything because I don't give a shit and then I was like Mm. that's not making me happy Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah that's kind of where I'm at (laughs) (laughs) so you just kind of have to like just like take a moment and be honest with yourself and be like okay what do I want for me not for anyone else and just try and like slowly work work towards that and don't don't like guilt trip yourself all the time for like making baby steps because it's like it's never going to be an immediate process but it's always going to be like a journey thank you so much for listening to the body protest podcast brought to you by the pink protest we would love it if you left us a review and some stars, preferably five, on Apple Podcasts. Preferably. <laughs> it will help other people find our podcast and join our body protest family. Honey, where can we find you on social? Well, I'm on Instagram <laughs> at honeykinney, and you should also follow the Pink Protest at Pink Protest. Nadia, where can we find you? I'm at nadia.craddock on Instagram, and you can also listen to my little work podcast, Appearance Matters, the podcast, where Jay Pannell and I talk about the body image research with some of the experts in the field. Uh, This podcast was brought to you by The Pink Protest and produced by the wonderful Scarlett Curtis. And thanks to our editor, Shola. Thank you. Bye.